get started with today's scripture reading. This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Praise God. Praise God. Examine, examine yourselves. How many of us have prayers that are in the pipeline? How many of us are wishing and hoping for, for, for things that are, that are in our lives? And we all know that God does indeed answer prayers. There are three answers to prayers, and we'll get to that in a minute and looking at what those answers are. But sometimes we need to stop and take a look at, um, are we possibly hindering answers to those prayers? If you kind of envision the fact, because the Word of God, the Word of God says that God sends blessings to us. He has blessings that are just coming to us all the time. If you kind of envision a pipeline that's connected from God to you, and those blessings are flowing, and when all is going well, and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that pipeline is nice and open, and those blessings are flowing, okay? And you get blessings when, and when you don't even realize that you're being blessed. Things are happening behind the scenes for you. You don't even realize you're being blessed. You're blessed every morning when you wake up, amen, and you put your feet on the ground. You know, you're being blessed. Every breath that you take, you're being blessed, you see. But sometimes that pipeline that where God's blessings are coming down or where God may be sending the answer to a prayer can get clogged up. You know, and if you've ever had a clogged up sink, you know, and you go running for that draino, you know, and, and we've all seen the commercials where you got that hairy clog in the middle there and finally the draino breaks through it. Well, we have these clogs sometimes in our pipelines coming from God, which hinders, can hinder, can hinder or slow down things, things coming to you. Amen. But God will many times answer our prayers with a yes. Alrighty. And sometimes God will say no. And then sometimes there is no answer at all. And when there's no answer at all, that's when we start getting all twitchy, you know, because we start getting impatient, all right? And maybe sometimes the, 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 the length of that answer or, or delay of answer is because either God is working on something or maybe it's something that isn't quite ready for you yet, you know. The no is obvious. God is saying, no, this is not for you. Because God knows best what is for you. You know, as I always say, God will always give you what you need. He might not always give you what you think you want. Amen. Because God knows better than we do. So turn to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse number, verse number 24. Okay. Isaiah 65, verse number 24. See, and we all have that pipeline in our lives. We all, we all have that pipeline. And, and, and sometimes the, the level of that clog is greater than, than at others. You know, and again, kind of like a drain. You can hear water kind of sifting through a little bit or the drain, the water in the sink goes down very, very slowly. But it's still not open to the point that it should or could be, you know. And, and that's where another time that we should stop and examine ourselves. As the scripture that Brother Brandon just read, examine yourselves, this is what we need to to do from time to time to make sure that we're not creating these clogs. So Isaiah 65, verse number 24 reads, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, 
and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. All right. So this is the prayer that you sent up where God obviously has a yes answer to, you know. And so many times when you are sending the prayer or before you even send the prayer, God knows what you have in need of. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows the issues of life that you're wrestling with. Amen. And you have to remember that God knows what's going on in your life. So while you're saying this prayer, even before you even get to it, uh, you know, God says that, 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 that he, he will answer. You know, sometimes I believe God wonders why, how come we aren't praying? God will see an issue going on in our life, and they will wonder, God, God wonders, well, why doesn't he or she bring that to me? And we can all identify that when we see a kid, a child, if you have a, a kid or a nephew or, or someone that's, that's around you and they're struggling with something, and you're wondering, why doesn't that child come to me and just ask me? And you'll see them kind of, you'll stand back and you'll watch them and they're struggling, and you'll wonder, when are they going to come ask, ask me? You see? And that's kind of where God is with us. So God is saying that the yes answer is, first of all, he knows before you, you ask what the what, the, uh, what your prayer is, and so he answers it right away. As I said, there's a no, that's obvious, and then, then a no answer, a, a lack of an answer is another, another indication to you that maybe God's not ready yet to, for you to, to deal with whatever that thing is. So now let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at what are, what are some of those things that could be roadblocks in our lives, Okay. And why do we need to do this from time to time? It's so important. Second Corinthians uh, 13. See, we, we get so caught up in our day-to-day lives that many times we think that yesterday is just like what today will be or tomorrow will be just like today was. And we just kind of go through our lives with so many assumptions we just think that everything is going to be peachy keen, you know, and everything is going to work out. In the meantime, the enemy is back there working overtime to hinder you, to stifle you, to bring attacks, to throw those fiery darts at you, you know. So from time to time, there aren't too many things in life that require work or require some effort. While Christianity, true Christianity, is effortless on our part because God is doing all the work, we still need to make sure that we're doing what we should be doing, amen, so that we keep that pipeline open and free of clogs, you see. But so many times we Christians forget that, the fact that we have some responsibility, and as we say, oh, well, God will handle it, God will handle it. Yes, God will handle it. But we have to examine ourselves from time to time to make sure we're doing what God is telling us to do. Otherwise, we tie God's hands. As powerful as God is, omnipotent, he created the universe, Believe it or not, us little measly human beings can tie God's hands. And we can tie God's hands very easily when we are not doing what God wants us to do. So you say, well, if he's so powerful, how are we tying God's hands? Because simply God said in his word, this is what I will do if you do this. This is what I will not do if you do this. And that's God's word. That's God's word. He's spoken it forth. God is not a man that he should lie. So therefore, he cannot violate his own word. If God says, I will not bless you because you're not doing this, then as much as God might like to, he's not going to bless you. He can't bless you because then he'd be violating his own word. And if God was able to violate his own word and become a liar, then what kind of a God do we have? Amen? Amen? I certainly don't want a God that can, that, that can lie. 
So God has to keep to his word. So our responsibility then, knowing that, is to make sure that we keep our pipeline free of clogs. And the only way we can do that is the same way you do your sink. Every time you look in your sink, you, 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 if you fill up with water, you watch. You, maybe you don't spend three hours there watching it, but you certainly watch to see if the water's going down. Amen? So you examine to see whether or not your sink is unclogged. So, so, so looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5, it says, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Underline, examine yourselves. Whether you are in the faith. Underline. Prove yourselves. Know ye not yourselves how Jesus Christ is in you, unless you are discredited? Okay? So, so the Word of God tells us to examine ourselves. All right? Now, if there wasn't a need for that, then God would have simply said, Now, here we are well into the New Testament. Jesus went to the cross. All has been set up for us. This, our sin was paid for. You, you know, the blood cleansed us. We're all born again now. And God would have said, Okay, you can all sit back and dust your hands off. There's nothing else you have to do. The devil knows that we as human beings, first of all, we are still, still subject to faults. We are still subject to the enemy trying to attack us. We're still subject to the devil trying to pervert and twist our thinking. We're still subject to all of the, 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 the myriad temptations that would be out there through television, through the radio, through, through people that are unsaved, through society itself. When so much today is what, is what was normally taken to be wrong and no good is now accepted as being good, and those things that were always accepted as being good are now viewed as being evil. So we see a reversal in society, and God knew that. So God is telling us one of your responsibilities is to constantly examine yourself, okay? Look at yourself to make sure that you're following the path, all right, so that you don't wind up developing those clogs. So there are several areas here that we're going to look at, but I want to, before we, we start looking at them, go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy 14. 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2. There is no Timothy 14, amen. 2 Timothy 2. And we want to look at verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the sub subverting of the hearers. Study, underline the word, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Okay? So he says this study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if, you can't, if you're not studying, you won't be able to divide or discern the word of truth, you see? So studying means that we as Christians, we are obligated and required to do more than just come to Sunday, come to church for on a Sunday for a couple of hours. Okay? It, it, it doesn't, doesn't end there, you know? You know, for a child of God, it's a lifelong pursuit. You know, you have to become a student of the Bible. 
you know, and this should be something, you know, you, you know, there were some subjects, you know, I always loved science and things like that was in, when I was in school, and I always pursued after that. When it came down to trig and those other numbers, things like that, I had to kind of push myself to do that. Amen. Okay. It was not one of my favorite subjects. Amen. So therefore, I was more likely to study my science books than I was to study the math books. Okay. Well, if you are a child of God, this stuff should be like dessert to you. I mean, you should be running after it so much, really studying it for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, the main reason to show yourself approved to God, but also so that you can benefit from it, so you can recognize the devil when he's coming against you. you know, okay? And I know there are many people who will go to church and then during the week they don't even crack the Bible open. Okay, when there are issues come up in their life, they don't even they don't even go to the Bible to seek results. Amen. It does not end for the couple of hours or so that we spend here in Genesis one in church. Amen. It's got to continue into the afternoon on Sunday. Now I'm not saying I mean it's totally unrealistic to think anyone's going to sit down 24/7 reading the Bible. I mean let's be real. Amen. Amen. But there should be a time the same way you have a routine or a ritual for reading the newspaper, watching the six o'clock news, or whatever it is that you do during your schedule. There should be some time that you set aside to read the Word of God. Study. Because I'm telling you, as surely as we are here today, if you're not doing that, you won't even notice when those clogs in your drain start developing. Amen? Amen? When that clog in your sink starts happening, you don't see when it does. Okay, it may start by a little bit of hair or grease or whatever's down in there. You don't detect it. It's not until the drain has actually gotten clogged that you see a problem because the sink doesn't empty. Well, so it is with us. If we are not studying to show ourselves approved, if we are not staying on top of God's word, those clogs in the prayer pipeline, in the blessing pipeline, can get clogged up because we don't even realize that we are not doing something. Amen? And there are some specific areas that we're going to look at today where that can so easily happen and people don't realize it. Amen? Amen. So the first one we're going to start with is unforgiveness. All right. This is a big one. Okay. We're going to look at about four areas today. And the first one to keep our drains unclogged, our pipeline to God unclogged is unforgiveness. Go to Mark 11. Go to Mark 11. This is very, very important to God. And... uh, I mean, this is not Bible study, but if it was, I would ask the question, why do you think it's so important to God? Amen? Amen? Well, what about his son, Jesus Christ? Right? Look at the work that he did. Amen? Amen? Mark 11, and we're going to look at verses 25. Look at verse 25. Okay? Unforgiveness. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against any that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Okay? So he's standing here and he's saying, so he's saying that when you stand praying, forgive. And one of the things that you hear me every Sunday say, if you're paying attention, I hope you are, um, whenever someone is praying in your presence, wherever you are, I pray that you're listening very carefully to what that person is praying. You know, you don't want someone standing around praying, talking about Buddha or somebody else, and you're sitting there, amen, 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 because it's okay, because you're receiving that. But how many times do you hear me say that when we play that last song and do a little reflection and thinking and things like that, and I say, ask Holy Spirit to put the, the faces or thoughts of those family, friends, loved ones, or those who may be giving you opposition, those may be giving you a hard time? You need to think about those people who are giving you a hard time. You need to pray for them, you know. 
What we do here is follow the word of God. Nothing in Genesis 1 here is going to be against scripture. This says when you stand praying. So when you're praying, that's why I say that, because I want you to think about, is there someone out there that you may be having some hard feelings about? Is there someone who's giving you a hard time? Amen, amen, amen. You need to forgive them. You need to forgive them. The same way Jesus forgave us. If we don't do that, God cannot forgive us, all right? So unforgiveness is one way that we can cause that clog in our pipeline of blessing or clog in our pipeline of answered prayer. Amen. And I'm going to dwell on this a little bit. Go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21. You know, well, one of the things about unforgiveness is, is, is that part of, of, of unforgiveness, or harboring unforgiveness, and many times tied to that spirit of pride, okay? Because of the fact that someone has done something to you, then you feel, why should I forgive them, you know? And that's a prideful thing, because who are you to think that you're so special that because someone did something to you, that you can't forgive them. Look what they did to Jesus Christ, you know. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know, know not what they do. Stephen, when he was being stoned, said they all said the same thing before he gave up that last breath. Forgive them, because they know not what they do, you see. So if you're caught up in unforgiveness, sometimes you do some reflection here. Is this, is this, is this a, a manifestation of the spirit of pride in my heart because of the fact I think I'm so great because of what that person did to me, why should I forgive them? <laughs> they need to come say something to me first. You know, I'm mighty me, you know, and I mean, I, I, why should I be, do the, be the one getting the forgiving? Well, Jesus didn't say, why should I die for them? You know, you, you know, I have not sinned, Father, why should I die for them? Okay, so forgiveness to God is very, very important. Unforgiveness to God is very, very important. Okay, so we're going to do um, Matthew 18 and go to verse number 21. Verse number 21. Listen to this, this event, this story here. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgiven? Give him till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Okay, seventy times seven. Now, don't go out there doing the math and say, well, that's 490. So that means I got 490 times to forgive him, and I'm up to 489. So that means one more time, and that's it. I forgive no more. All right, okay. So don't, don't go. No, that's not, that's not how that works, okay? Don't be carrying your little calculator around. You got a little piece of paper with tick marks. Okay, Mary, <coughs> that's five. John, <coughs> that's seven, okay? And then finally get to it. Then I'm done. All bets off. Jesus is simply saying here, no, 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 more than 70, more than seven times, all right? Then he goes on to say, which is very interesting, he says, uh, therefore, verse 23, therefore uh, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king who would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him who owed him 10,000 talents. In other words, he was keeping track of his books and things. He realized that one owed him 10,000 talents. But, 25, but for as much as he had nothing with which to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. 
Then the Lord of that servant was moved with their compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Please underline, and forgave him the debt. Okay, he was, he was moved by, by his plea and he forgave him the debt. But the same servant, the same servant, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So just pausing to get that picture in mind now. He owed somebody, owed the king, and the king said, King was about to do him, and he said, No, forgive me, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll pay. You know, the king forgave him his debt. However, a fellow person who owed him some money, what did he do? He grabbed him at the throat, attacked him, strangled the poor guy. When the guy said the same words almost, forgive me, I'm sorry, I will pay you, what did he do? He totally ignored him and, 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 and got revenge on him. Okay, so how, how right is that? All right. So Jesus goes on, if you, if you ever read that of Bible, you see these words are in red, so Jesus is doing the speaking here. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told, and told it unto their Lord all that was done. When his Lord, after he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thy debt, because thou besought me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was angry and delivered him to the, to the inquisitors, till he uh, should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you, from your hearts, please in the line, if you, from your hearts, forgive not every one his brother his trespasses. Okay? So, uh, if you, from your hearts. Now, from your hearts means not lip service. Just don't go saying because you want to be such a good Christian. Oh, I forgave so-and-so. I forgave Martha. Oh, so-and-so, I hear Martha did so-and-so to you. Oh, I forgave Martha. That little squeezy, knock-kneed woman, that no-account woman. Oh, boy, I can't stand this. You know, under your breath, you're mumbling all sorts of bad things about it. From all, you got to sincerely forgive the person. Amen? Sincerely, sincerely forgive them. Now, this person here, you know, as I said, you know, the, the, the king forgave him, but he couldn't give that same forgiveness to his fellow man. The king, the Lord, God, forgave us. So we need to forgive that other person who is sinning us. The last one on forgiveness here, we're looking at things that would cause those clogs. Um, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. And we're going to go to verse 21. Okay, verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there remembers that thy brother has anything against thee. King James says ought. It means anything. Has anything against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer thy gift. So this is so important to God. As much as God talks about our giving to him. He's saying 
If you're coming to church and you're about to give your tithes and offerings when the minister calls for it, and you're harboring ill feelings against someone, don't even put your tithes in the basket. Don't even give your offering. You go get right with that brother or that sister. Then you come and give your tithes. Okay? All right? All right? This is how serious this is to God. Okay? And it's all predicated upon the work that Jesus did. It was all about forgiveness when we did not deserve forgiveness. So if you're doing that, if you're harboring forgiveness someone, you're harboring unforgiveness on, for someone, and then you're wondering why you're not being blessed, this could be one of the areas that is holding from blessings that's coming down, that could be coming down the pipeline to you, okay? And just because you forgive someone does not mean that you have to go hanging out with them and being with them 24 hours a day. It simply means that whatever took place between you two, whatever transpired between you two, you forgive them of it. It's a done deed, you know. I'm not going back that place again. I'm not going to be exposing myself to that. Again, you need to pray for them. God wants us to pray for people. But it does not mean because you you forgave them that you have to go getting back and, and letting them pull you into whatever those issues are. You know, you don't want to get caught up into wherever there's confusion and strife is one of the things I stay away from. You know, I went on vacation with someone many, many years ago, and it was such a stressful time. And, and I said, never again, never again, never again. And I never did. I never exposed myself there again because I will not put myself through it. Amen. But the forgiveness to God is extremely, extremely important. The other area that could, can get us into trouble and block our, our blessings is tithes and offerings. Okay? Let's go to Malachi 3. Malachi 3. We're looking at things here that block people from, uh, from receiving their blessings. Malachi 3, verse number 7. Malachi 3, verse 7. Now, you're all familiar with, these, with this, this scripture, but it's, again, the Word of God says to our, examine ourselves, examine ourselves, you know. And, and, and the thing about it is that we come to church and we hear the Word of God, and sometimes things will convict us of what we're hearing. But also, there may be someone else in your life that needs to hear what you're hearing today. Amen? So even though while they are not here, if there's something that you're learning and something that you're picking up, Holy Spirit may put it on your heart. You need to share this with someone else. Amen. Because there's a reason why you're hearing this. Amen. If it isn't applying directly to you, it may be applying to someone that is in your life, someone that you know. Or there may be a situation coming down the pike. But examining ourselves as Christians, not wanting to block God's blessings, is very, very important. And this is one of the areas. Verse number 7 says, Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances. Disobedience. You, you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? So in the first place, we see right there in verse number 7, God is telling us that in many cases we've gone astray from him. We've gone astray. You know, for either through disobedience or some other way we've gone astray. But God always says that you can return unto me, and I will return unto you, said the Lord of hosts. So whatever may be going on in your life where you feel that you may have missed the mark, you can always make amends and go to the Lord, and the Lord will certainly return to you. All right? And then he says, in what way should I do this? Verse number 8. Will a man rob God? Please underline, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And then it says there, in tithes and offerings. Now, please underline, in, t in tithes and offerings. It says there, in tithes and offerings. All right? For clarification, the tithe is what is required of God from you. 
That is a requirement. Tithe, Greek, for, for one-tenth. Okay, and elsewhere in Scripture it talks about your tithes being of your first fruits. You know, if you are a farmer and you're raising crops and then you're supposed to give a tenth of those crops, that's your first fruits. That's your first fruits. That means you don't take those crops and put the best ones over here, take that out of the way, or save that, and save that for later. Now this part I'll give to God. Amen. First fruits is exactly what that is. That's the first part of whatever it is that you're raising. In our case, it's earnings because we don't, we're not farmers. Amen. That, that's your tithe. And offering, the tithe is mandatory. And offering, sometimes you hear people say, the goodwill offering of the people. This is where there is no requirement, but you're giving an offering to God. All right? This is after you've given your tithe. Okay? So that, that goes beyond, beyond, beyond what you normally do of the mandatory. All right? and, 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 and you cannot outgive God. You cannot. The more generous, the more you give to God, the more it comes back to you, you know. And talking about clogging pipelines, I've seen people over the years, and I mean, I'm telling you, I've seen people over the years that, and, and you know, what, what people tithe is always their business. We are not a ministry. I've been in some churches where they actually post who's giving what, the dollar amounts what people are giving and things like that. This is between, oh, yeah, 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 and, and yeah, this, this is a man. My wife and I and you guys were really little. We flew out of that place quickly. Any minister that wants to do that to shame people or to put competition in, is that's not of God. So tithing is your personal thing. But I will tell you, as I learned a long time ago, a long time ago, you're faithful to God with tithing. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Conversely, I've known people that, I, that have robbed God, that have not tithed. You know, and of course, here, you know, being here over the years, you, you see that. And those people that do not tithe, do not give to the Lord, they struggle. They struggle. I'm telling you, they struggle. Not only do they struggle with finances, but almost every area of their life, it seems like it's plagued. You know, everything just seems to be going wrong. All right? So, so, so when you read these scriptures, especially what we're about to read, take this very, 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 very seriously. Because I'm telling you, as surely as I stand here, I know people that are struggling today. And this is one of the reasons that they're struggling. Because they haven't been tithing to the Lord. They were not tithing to God. Amen? And I'm talking about going back 15, 20 years. Okay? So don't sit there. Oh, is he talking about me? <laughs> okay? I'm talking about going back 15, 15 20 years. Amen? But, but I've seen this... I've seen this in actuality so much that a long time ago, you know, I was determined to say, Lord, this is one area that I'm going to make sure I'm faithful in because I want to be blessed, you know. And the same thing comes for the Thanksgiving offerings and the Christmas offerings, you know. These are things that no one is required to give. No one is required to give Thanksgiving or Christmas time or any, any other time. But this is above the mandatory thing, all right. It goes on, because God says here, tithes and, the reason I'm harping on it, it says tithes and offerings. So, I have to make you aware of the fact that there's a difference between tithes and offerings. No, number nine. Says, 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 you robbed me in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me, prove me, test me now. Uh, test me now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing. Underline all that, please. Test me, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing, and that there shall not be room enough to receive it. 
And I will rebuke the, the devourer. Underline, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast its fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So what God is saying here, because of not giving, he's saying that these people curse themselves. They put a curse on them. Then God says, to test me. Try me. You know, try me. You know, and the minute you get in the habit of giving to God and, and so forth, you will find that your life will, t- will turn around. All right, God is saying, I will open up the windows and pour out for you blessings. The clog that I was talking about, if you're not being obedient to God, there's one area that can be very easily, very easily clogged up. The most important part there also is verse number 11, says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. The devourer, of course, he's talking about there is the enemy. You know, and that's a very, very good word to choose because that's what I've seen active in many Christians' lives who were indeed not giving to God. It's like everything that they had simply got devoured. Seemed like as soon as they made one step backwards, something in their life, some calamity would happen that would send them back five steps. You see, and that's where where, where it's, it's like like you uh, you know you, you, your washing machine breaks down and you, you struggle and you struggle to get the money to have the washing machine repaired. The minute you get the washing machine repaired, a week goes by, your refrigerator breaks down. And here you are struggling for money again to get the, refri- to get the refrigerator repaired, and the car breaks down. You see, this is what the devourer does, where you just never have enough to make ends meet. Amen? Amen? So God is saying, test me, prove me, and I will prove him. And there are many, 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 many of us here that have been blessed because of the faithfulness of you all that you're giving. Many of us have been blessed in ways that have made your, your head spin. And I say to young married couples and those that are about to get married, that this is something that you need to seriously lock on to, seriously lock on, because young married couples have a hard enough time with finances as it is than to not to be giving to God and opening the door for the devourer to come in. Amen? So lock on to that so that is not a clog that's in your drain. Amen? Okay, so we, uh, we, we covered that. And then the other one now is disobedience. Okay? Here's another big clog. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And, and, and it's interesting here. Um, 1 Samuel 15. It's interesting here how we think of obedience as simply being, well, I'm not going to do this, you know, or I'm going to sin, or whatever. Well, disobedience can take its way in other forms here, and this example of Saul here is, is a good example that we, we need to watch out for, because disobedience can obviously be a big old, big old hairball clog in your drain, in your drain of life and prosperity. Amen. Chapter uh, 15, starting with verse number 1. Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou to the voice of the words of the Lord. Please in the line, therefore hearken thou to the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, okay? But slay both the man and woman, infant and suckling. Please put a bracket or highlight all of verse number three, okay? Go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling. And Saul gathered, gathered the people together, and numbered them, and telling him, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. 
And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. So far, so good. He's obeying what the Lord said to do. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, unless I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites uh, departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, underline alive, and took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So please put a bracket around number nine, or highlight the whole thing, okay? So you see, they took the best of the sheep, and the oxen, the fatlings, etc., and all, of the, and they would not utterly destroy them, but everything else that was no good, they, uh, they destroyed. Verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. Now Samuel's the prophet that God is talking to. It repenteth me that I have sent up Saul, set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me. Please underline, for he is turned back from following me. And has not performed my commandments. Underline, has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, uh, it, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gil Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Please in the line, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. All right? He's claiming he did what God told him to do, but he hears sheep and he hears the oxen, you know, because he knows, Samuel knows, that God told him to tell Saul to kill everything. So he's saying, why am I hearing sheep and oxen, you know? And 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep. Underlined, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Why then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? Please in the line. Why then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon, upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the Lord. Please underline I. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, underline but the people, but the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the, of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, 
Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Please underline that. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt uh, offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Underline, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. These in the line, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Underline that too. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. Underline that. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and, the, and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Please line, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Right? Just to pause there for a few minutes, you, 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 you see what's happening there. God gave distinct instructions on what to do. Not to be half-stepping, okay? So, when God gives us instructions on things that we are to do or not to do, we have to carry them out to the letter, all right? And don't go doing what you think you should be doing. Or, well, God said to do this, but I'm going to keep this part for me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or even better still, let someone else talk you into doing something other than what God told you to do. You know? If you know God's voice and you're hearing from God, you know full well what he told you. Don't let someone else come along and say, oh, but it'll be okay to do so-and-so-and-so. Oh, it'll be all right if you do this. I mean, look at this. Look how wonderful this is. God wants you to have nice things. Don't you think you should keep this for yourself? Or don't you think you should do this part for yourself? God wouldn't mind. Amen? God wouldn't mind. You see, you have to be obedient to God. Disobedience, he said, is the same thing as witchcraft. Okay? The rebellion. This is rebellion. is as the sin of witchcraft. Amen? So if you say, oh, I don't commit witchcraft, well, are you, are you rebelling against God? Then in God's eyes, it's the same thing as you, you committing witchcraft. Big old clog. Big old clog. Look at that, that pipeline with blessings and prayers being answered coming down to you. Well, there's a big old clog right there. Because you're not doing what God told you to do in its entirety, verbatim what God told you to, what told you to do. Amen? Not to be relying on something. And then most of them, I mean, what did he do? He said, he said I obeyed. It was them that did it. <laughs> you know? How many times, oh, it, it wasn't me. The devil made me do it. You know how many times have you heard that? Amen? Amen? So when God is telling you to do something, you make sure you do exactly what God is telling you to do. I don't care how vile or whatever it may seem. Okay? And this was, some, this was very, very selfish because what did they do? They kept the good stuff for themselves. And destroy everything else, as God said, you know. And God says, he says, he says, he says um, in verse number 23, Satan said, <coughs> excuse me, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as being obedient to the voice of the Lord? Okay, be, obey, um, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So how does that relate to us in today's modern world? You know, we don't do sacrifices of animals, but our sacrifice and giving to God is through our tithes and offerings. Amen. So don't think... The point here is that just because you are faithfully tithing and offering, giving tithes and offerings to God, that it's okay for you to be disobedient and rebellious. All right? Because people wind up scratching their heads and say, I don't understand why I'm not being blessed. I'm in church every other Sunday. I, they have four services in church. I'm at every single one of them. I'm on the choir. I'm on the usher's board. I do this, I do that, you know. But yet still, they're not doing what God is telling them to do in its entirety. You see? So you can be tired and you're doing all of those great things, but if you're disobedient, being disobedient to God or rebellious to God, then it's all of, it's all of no use. 
big old clog there that is in your pipeline of blessings and prayers being answered from God. You see? All right? Okay? So then it goes on to say here in verse number 25, well, 24 again, I love Let's just read 24 again. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. How many of us in our lives, when there are issues, we know what God told us to do, but our boss, a loved one, a family member, or a friend comes up with a different plan. You know? Got a different plan. Oh, let's not go there. Let's go over to my house. Oh, don't do that. Do that. Well, you know what God told you to do. But because of the fact that, oh, there's no one that I fear. There's no one that I Are you kidding me, Pastor? I just know that I fear, all right? Yeah, but your boss tells you to do something that's counter to what God told you to do. A friend that you're very, very close with tells you to do something that God did not tell you to do or, 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 or gives you or, or tells you to do something that varies from what God tells you to do. A friend, a loved one, a family member. Okay, I don't care how close to a mother, brother, sister, uncle, I don't care how close they are. Amen. If you know that you know that you know that you know that God told you to do A, B, C, and D, don't go be doing A, B, C, and L. Okay, don't be jumping around. Oh, well, L sounded better, so I thought I'd do that. That's helping God. No, no, no. God said to do D for a reason. Amen. See, you see and, and we don't know what's going on in our futures. We don't know. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. Okay? Now, now you, you get hung up on, or someone get hung up on the fact that God told them to, to kill all the women and all the babies and everything like that. Or what kind of a God would do that? Well, first of all, these were devil-worshipping, demonic people here that were doing all sorts of things. And you, you read the rest of the story here. All right? And, and the sins of the fathers, forth cast on the, the sons and daughters, four generations and so on like that. But also bear in mind that, a baby that under the age of accountability, if that baby is slain or killed, where does it go? It goes to heaven anyway. It goes to heaven. So don't go sin. Don't let people tell you you've got a ruthless God because God ordered the killing of babies. Okay? All right, all right. Those folks that were younger or, or older than being babies, those young, those teenagers and things like that that were of the age of accountability, first of all, if they had spared them, they would go on, go on um, carrying on those demonic, those uh, uh, paganistic rituals that these people, the Amalekites, were doing in the first place. God wanted them wiped out. Are, are, are these are godless people that, that, that's talked about here. You know, so don't be, you know, mis- liberal and all that sort of thing, killing babies. No, 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 no. God knew exactly what he was doing by saying to have them all destroyed. All right? Okay? And, and then Saul, though, though, he blamed it on the people. He says, you know, for fear of the people, um, I, I, I didn't obey the, the, vo- the voice. You know? So God says, he says because you, you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected thee from king of Israel. Um, 27. And as Saul turned about to go away, he laid, um, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it tore. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and has given it to a neighbor of thine who is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie, uh, will not lie nor repent. And the strength, of, the strength here is referring to God. Also the strength of Israel, the God of Israel, will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. 
Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of uh, my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then, then said Samuel, bring ye, here, uh, bring ye here to me Agog, the king of the Malachites. And Agog came unto him cheerfully. See, he was all cheerful because he was spared and stuff. And Agog said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword hast made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless upon women, among women. And Samuel hewed Agog in pieces before the Lord in Gil- Gilgal. Okay? Now he came saying, he was all delighted and whatnot. Oh, yeah, 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 you spared me. But look what this man had done. Man had done. He made m- many, many women. How does the Lord put it here? Uh, Thy sword has made, has made women childless. Childless. So he killed, killed many, many babies and everything. This was an evil man. Evil man. But Saul took it upon himself to spare him. All right? But, but Samuel said, slayed him, cut him to pieces. Verse 34, then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house to uh, Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So here we see now disobedience as being a big one here for, for putting a clog in the pipeline of blessings. And here especially, um, partial disobedience. In other words, taking what God has told you to do, and you altering it and deciding to do what you think God would want you to do. Amen? And not being strong enough to stand up to those who would uh, try to get you to do otherwise. All right, the last big clog here is one that rises up from time to time is fear. If you don't get a hold of fear, fear just does you in. It just beats you all round about the head, and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're in a mess, you know. Fear is like in a cycle, you know. It starts with that attack of fear, and then there comes the, comes the doubt, okay? And then the doubt, because of the fear, doubt then cycles into unbelief. And then because you no longer have any belief in God, then it goes right back to fear again, you see. And so here you are caught in this vicious, vicious circle. Fear, fear propagates the doubt where you partially, first it just starts with you partially doubting. You know, oh, God said I was going to get this. God said I would overcome this. God said I would accomplish this, okay? And that's where the doubt, but how come, how, how can that happen? How can that happen? And then the next thing you know, if you think about it long enough, the doubt then turns into unbelief where you just start thinking, well, God's not going to do it. It's just too big for God, okay? And then once you get to that point, then, of course, fear is even worse, okay? So there's a vicious cycle. So let's go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. 14, okay. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also uh, be glorified, that we may be also glorified together. All right. So the operative words there are obviously in verse number 15. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You have been received. You have received the spirit of adoption. We have every cry of our Father. Once you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. God has not given you that spirit of fear again. So when that spirit of fear tries to rise up in your life, you rebuke it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, okay, the most powerful name. Already, that, that spirit has no place in you, has no place in, in, around you. You are a child of God. So don't let fear, or fear uh, try to come about you and to get a hold on you. Um, fear can wind up leading into, into disobedience, which is what we talked about a few minutes ago. Amen. Fear will rise up there because it will start making you doubt that what God is telling you to do is really, really true and can really, really happen. You know, when God tells you to do something, many times that spirit of fear will, will, will come into our minds and make us think you're not able to do that. You don't have the educational background. You don't have the training experience. You don't have the years on the job. Um, you haven't, you, you, you're not a preacher. You can't minister to someone else. You know, all sorts of things and thoughts that that spirit of fear will try, will try to put in you. Okay, but God has not given us that spirit. So the minute fear starts rising up in your life, the first thing you should realize is that this is not of God. This is not of God. You know, there's nothing with fear about God, you know. How many times did people see angels and they fell down on their faces and the angels said to them, fear not. You know, there's nothing about God that instills fear in our life. When the Bible talks about the fear of God, as I said a few sermons ago, that fear is not being afraid of God. Fear there is really being referred to as reverence for God, respect for God. Okay, but, but, but God does not give us that, that fear. Amen. Amen. In us, there's freedom, you know, and where it says here, the words say exactly, for we have not received the spirit of bondage again. OK, underline the word again. OK. And to fear. And that fear is, is the strong man. If you know about spirits, now they operate. That's that strong man that has under him anxiety, stress, worry. All right. You start having those, th- those things enter into your life. You're feeling worried. You're feeling stressful about something. You're, you're anxious about something. You go and you bind up that spirit of fear. And you recite that scripture. Okay, I have not uh, received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now, why does it say again? It says again because we've been freed from it. Amen. Before you were born again, before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, before you became a child of God and were adopted into the family of God, yeah, fear was very real in your life. You know, fear was very real because you had no way of dealing with it. All right. Now, that does not mean to say that when something happens in your life, when something goes awry or something pops up, that letter, that phone call, that x-ray from the doctor or whatever that gives you some negative news. Yeah, you get that sudden wave of, oh, gosh, you get that wave of fear or anxiety or worry that's in there. But immediately we being children of God which is different from the unbeliever or the non-believer, once that initial fear sets in from that bad news, that fear stays because they don't know how to get rid of it. Okay? Now, that's the state that we were in. That's why it says you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. When you came to the Lord and you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that spirit of fear was taken away from you. That spirit of fear cannot exist in you. Okay, evil cannot exist where, where, where God's holiness is. Okay, so you don't have that spirit of fear. All right, so don't let it try to come on you again and manifest itself by lying to you and making you, you doubt 
which then leads, leads you from doubting into just simply not believing the word of God. And then that spirit of fear, if you can just kind of sit in, you know, picture him just getting comfortable, you know, like he's settling into a big fluffy armchair, you know, and here he is fluffing the pillow behind him and he's just settling in. Once he gets you, you know, then the chair is there and then you start entertaining it and you start doubting. You say, oh, I can sit down now. Okay, and then when you, that doubt goes to unbelief, he sits back and puts his feet up. Because now he's at home and he's locked in. All right? And then once he's locked in, then he opens the door and he says, Hey, guess what? I found a good house here. Come on in. Then along with him can come that spirit of infirmity with illness and everything else that can go on. Amen? So you haven't received that spirit of fear. But if you've got that fear again, again, that's a big hairy clog in the pipeline of blessings there. You see, because you're going to be so fearful, you're not going to be obedient to God to do what he's telling you to do. And it just winds up spiraling downhill and downhill and downhill and downhill. Amen. Amen. So we need to make sure that, 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 that we, we're rebuking that, that spirit of fear and you're trusting in God. Make sure that we become obedient to God and search your heart. Is there anyone that's out there that you haven't forgiven? Okay. Now, many people also fall into the trap where someone may even say to you, oh, well, Aunt Tilly, she was 95 when she died, and that was 15 years ago. And you simply hear of Aunt Tilly, and all of a sudden your stomach gets in knots because you start remembering how Aunt Tilly treated you. Okay? Yeah, that witch, boy, oh, boy. You know, you may not say it on your breath, but you're just thinking to yourself, boy, am I glad she's gone. Well, guess what? Are you still harboring unforgiveness? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You see? And one of the most dangerous things for Christians is for us to be harboring forgiveness, especially to someone that is gone, that has since passed on. Because the Christian then thinks, well, how can I forgive the person who's died? It's too late for me to forgive. No, it's not. No, it's not. You see? Forgiveness is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Okay? Your forgiveness, your, by, by, by you forgiving that person, not only are you forgiving them, which releases them, but you are most importantly releasing yourself. You're releasing yourself, you see. Harboring of, harboring of unforgiveness is, 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 is damaging to the person that is harboring the unforgiveness. The person that you're not forgiving could maybe go on and wind up being blessed in many, many ways, especially if they came to the Lord, and you're silly enough to be harboring unforgiveness. The person that is suffering is you, spiritually, because you're the one that's, that's harboring that, that unforgiveness. Gone unchecked, that spirit of unforgiveness, which it is a spirit of unforgiveness, then grows and grows and grows, and it grows into a spirit of bitterness. It grows into a spirit of bitterness. You don't come against that spirit of bitterness and bind it and rebuke it the way you would any other spirit. Left unchecked, that spirit of bitterness can actually grow to that spirit of murder. Okay, where it winds up actually where you're doing physical harm if it goes unchecked, you see. This is why the Lord dwells on so much of unforgiveness, all right? It, 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 it's, it's destructive to your human being, to your human body, as well as your spirit. A person that is harboring unforgiveness, they're not leading healthy lives, spiritually or physically, because all they're doing is dwelling on what that person did, dwelling on what that, per that person did, you know. And also, many times you'll find that a person that harbors that unforgiveness is a very prideful person. If you've ever known anyone that has really harbored unforgiveness against someone, they're also a very prideful person, because the two go hand in hand. And we all know where that spirit of pride started. It started with Lucifer. Up in heaven. That's what got him cast out of heaven. Amen. 
So we don't want to be harboring that unforgiveness and that spirit of pride because they're both, both very detrimental to your well-being as a child of God. Amen. And it will certainly put a clog in that pipeline of blessing. Amen. Amen. So I pray that this blessing, that this message has been a blessing to you. And as you're thinking about ensuring that you don't have any clogs in your pipeline which could be hindering your blessings, um, um, pray about it. And if any of those are there, think about it, dwell on it, and, and take it to the Lord and free yourself from it. Amen? Now, before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.